teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. <laughs> so, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. 
We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Not going on. The fact that God had opened up forgiveness of sins to the Gentiles and we were seeing salvation among the Gentiles is an exciting thing, amen? All of us who are not Jews are here because of it. And in fact, if it wasn't for this uh, shift and God's great grace being poured out, all of us right now would be lost and on our way to hell. You don't look impressed. So it's a good thing that this is happening. But understand, this is a good thing and there's great things happening and God is moving. But the fact that the Gentiles are now being brought into the kingdom of God and they are becoming brothers and sisters with the Jews, grafted in as the word describes if we study it, into, grafted into the blessing of Abraham. Understand this is a great thing, but it also creates some theological and logistical problems, some cultural problems. Why? Because now you have these two cultures that were separated for centuries coming together, and guess what? The Gentiles got some baggage. Hello? And it's pagan baggage. Now the Jews have some baggage too, and it's religious baggage. So what we see here in this chapter is a class of a clash of baggage. You know, the two things that are being brought together here and the fact that, you know, they're being saved is a great thing, but now all of a sudden there's issues and these Jewish guys come and they, they're, they're all about the law and they're seeing these Gentiles come in and they're realizing God's allowing it, but now they want to set some rules and so uh, there's problems and the church leaders attempt to address these important issues 
and they convened together in what we know as the Council of Jerusalem. That's what you saw there when these guys all got together. Uh, the apostolic mantle was there, and they, they made a ruling on some of these uh, procedural things, some of these theological things, and they heard from the Holy Spirit. Verse 1, the issue addressed at the Council of Jerusalem came as a result of some bad teaching. Say bad teaching. It said, some men came down from Judah and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Whoa. Some men. There again, we've talked about false teachers. We've talked about self-anointed people. We talk about people. uh, Peter's going to say, you know what? We didn't send them. They sent themselves. So they came, and what do they do? They stir up some theological trouble and they add something to the gospel they, and look what they say they don't just say you should do this it's good it's holy it'll bring her, bring you closer to god they say if you don't do this legalistic thing that we want you to do you can't be saved when you study cults and world religions they will always uh, even ones that try to kind of meld in some christianity or say some good things about jesus they always have these man-made caveats of what you have to do to be saved you have to join our church you have to be baptized in the name of our cult you have to you know be dipped and dunked and smacked and drowned and all all of these things you have to give up this and you have to give up that so notice this kind of heresy is is common and the structure of it is common It's, it's it's some men came and began teaching that in and of itself is something that you and i need to be aware of be careful who you sit under be careful who you learn from amen now i'm not telling uh, i'm not saying be judgmental of people well you know look at him he he can't even you know comb his hair right or his clothes don't match or I'm saying if I've seen people who couldn't comb their hair, didn't have matching clothes, but had such an amazing anointing of the Holy Spirit, I could listen to them teach for hours. And then I've seen some slick, polished, smooth as oiled snake charmers. Hello. That just, man, I mean, and you could just feel something wasn't right. And so be careful who you sit under. Be careful who you allow to teach you. Look at the fruit in their life. If they're a hot mess, I used to always crack me up. People who, you know, in the body when we had, you know, that prosperity gospel, preaching and money and this and this, money, and they were broke themselves. Ain't that a little strange? They wanted to take 10 offerings, but they were still broke. Come on, I've been around the block, Charles, right? So be careful who you sit under. Be careful who you learn from. Be careful who you allow to teach you. Because, you know, what they got might get on you. If it's not of God, you don't want it. So they came, and they taught, and they stirred up problems. And these guys weren't sent by the proper authority. They kind of just did their own thing. And they twisted the doctrine, and they brought confusion. These guys were teaching a a hybrid of legalism and grace. And and that's what you're going to see at the heart of every heresy, a hybrid of legalism and grace. Oh, yeah, it's Jesus. Oh, it's all Jesus. It's by faith, and by grace you're saved. But you got to do X, Y, and Z. In this case, X, Y, and Z was you got to be circumcised. Now, there's a tall order right there, isn't it? We're talking about, there again, every time in Scripture where we see grown people getting circumcised, it is a painful thing. 
and it's a big burden. And they throw this on him. You've got to be circumcised or you can't be saved. And, and you've got to keep our customs and you've got to honor our culture and you've got to follow the law of Moses. Even though you're under grace and it's all Jesus, you've got to do this. And I, I want you to see that. Verse 2, we had all that fun and it was only one verse. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas have a heated debate with these guys, and they couldn't settle it there, so they decide to go to Jerusalem and sit with the apostles and the elders to settle the issue. Now, this is a great lesson in church leadership structure. See, these guys are apostles themselves, and they're full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they have some dissension here, and they have an issue here, so they bring it, what, to the leadership up above them. The Bible wants us to have a leadership structure, wants us to have elders, wants us to have people that we can go to. Why? Because sometimes, you know, we need a consensus of people to get the will of God. And God provides that leadership structure, even in the early church. There's always someone to go to who's more mature in the Lord, who has apostolic authority in a sense where, you know, they can, they can settle this thing. So they, they head to Jerusalem. Now, the church leaders were going to settle this, and they were going to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to them. And the people below them trusted that they could hear from God. See, that's the most important thing with leadership that's godly. They have to be able to hear from God. Amen? You and I have to be able to hear from God. It's not enough to say I'm a Christian and carry a Bible and attend every church service. You and I got to hear from God. So these guys can hear from God, so they're going up to Jerusalem. Verse 3 and 4, they travel to Jerusalem, and on the way they share the good news of what God is doing. Notice, everywhere these guys go, they're sharing the good news. When they get to Jerusalem, they share what God has been doing with the Gentiles. Uh, They share with the believers uh, in Phoenicia and Samaria, and finally they land in Jerusalem. So I want you to see that pattern in uh, Paul's life and some of these uh, Christian missionaries. You and I can share the gospel wherever we go. It's not like, well, i got to go to church and share the gospel. We, uh, we're saved. Share the gospel at the diner. Share the gospel in your cubicle. At, make your boss mad. Share the gospel with somebody who serves you your egg sandwich. Amen? <laughs> Phil's having fun. But share the gospel wherever you go. These guys did. They traveled. The gospel traveled with them. They strengthened everybody that, you know, they could touch with. The, uh, Phoenicia, Samaria, they landed Jerusalem. And now in verse 5, they get right to the crux of the issue here. It's no real surprise that what's behind the issue here is uh, legalism, and the Pharisees are the ones who bring it in. But I want you to see something here. The Pharisees uh, had become believers. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed. So check that out. They, they actually repented and asked Jesus to be Savior and Lord. So they were believers, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So it's no surprise that these guys bring that in. Why? Because that's their baggage. Say amen. amen. All of us have baggage. And, all of us, and you might think, oh, these guys, these legalistic guys, but all of us have baggage too. And we have preconceptions, and we have religious uh, platitudes, and we have paradigms that were built into us that may not even be biblical. Yet they become, you know, our opinion, our preference. And everybody wants their opinions and their preferences mixed in with the gospel. These guys are no different, but they, they're, they're, these guys were all about the law. They were all about, you know following it and observing it. So they didn't want to just throw that all away. They had spent their whole lives doing that. 
So they want to meld it in. There again, it's that hybrid of legalism and grace, and it's a big clash, and it doesn't work. But these guys, you know, they, they think it looks right, and they want to put this on the uh, new believers here who were pagans who never were under the Mosaic law, yet uh, somehow they think this is proper. Verses 6 to 11, the apostles and the elders debated the issue. Now, just the fact that they had an open debate about this is an interesting thing. No one, no one person uh, spoke and just said, you know, let it be written. There was no Pharaoh. There was no Pope. Hello? It was a consensus. And that's the way we do things in the body of Christ. You know, it, it, never, boils down, it never boils down to one person. It can't. Why? Because we're under covering. We're under proper structure. And so in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every fact be established. That same principle works in leadership. Uh, we, we have to get a consensus, and we have to hear from God together, and then there has to be some sort of agreement. And that's exactly what they do here. They come together, and they debate the issue. And, and you know, after much debate, it says, that shows that, you know, it was a... It was a a legitimate question, and they had pros and cons on both sides. The Bible doesn't list what they are, but they had a, a prolonged debate about it. And finally, they, you know, the answer wasn't immediately apparent, but they're working towards it. Now, I want, you to say, I want to say something to you. Don't be afraid to wrestle with theological things. Amen? You know, don't be afraid to, you know... Ask some serious questions of yourself, of your faith. You know, there's certain issues people are like, I don't, I don't even want to know about that. That's above my pay grade. People have that attitude in the body of Christ. What do you believe about the end times? What do you believe about, you know, the catching away of the church? What do you believe about, you know, eschatology? It's okay to ask those questions. You guys look horrified. But, you know, we need to be students of the word and we need to have our, you know, our theology tested at times. Why do you, do you believe God heals people? Why? Give me some scriptures. Give me some verses. Give me some examples. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it on you a little bit now. Nobody wants to look at me. All right, there you go. There you go. There's some scripture. There's some Isaiah coming at me. All right. So we got we to gotta ask ourselves these questions, and we need to know chapter and verse, and that's a good thing. So they debate, and they hear from God, and then they get the consensus, and that's a good thing. Now, we've got solid theology for 2,000-plus years, so nobody's going to reinvent the wheel too much at this point. Hello? People who do that start cults, Okay. The, the apostles' doctrine that was handed down to us is pretty solid. But I want you to see how things are going here. Don't be afraid to wrestle with these things. Uh, some things are not immediately apparent. God reveals himself to those who are willing to come to him with no opinion, well, no tradition, no prejudice, and just say, God, speak to us. And that's what he does here. Uh, the burden uh, of the law was described here in verse 10, and I find it very interesting, you know, the way, the way they described the law. It says, now therefore, why do you put God to the test, uh, placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, listen to that, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. So they're saying, you know, the law was, was a yoke to us. The law was a burden. People who are religious and love legalism, man, they're, they're grace killers. They're joy suckers. Why? Because the only function of the law under the new covenant of grace is to convict us and give us the knowledge of sin. 
You know what happens if you try and keep the Ten Commandments perfect for a day? You realize, I am a sinner. And I need, you know, it scares me, people who think, well, I've kept them, I keep them all, I don't. You know, I mean, you're not paying attention. And so, these... You know, these questions are good, and they're willing to wrestle, and they're looking to hear from God. They see the law for what it is. It it was a burden. It was a yoke. And why do you want to put this on the new believers who are under grace? Because, you know, we couldn't follow it. Neither could our forefathers. All it does is convict us of sin and lets us know we need a Savior. Now that the Savior's here, let's let this legalism go. Peter takes the proverbial bull by the horns. He calls attention to the fact that God had already saved the Gentiles. He had already filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now you guys want to come up with a bunch of rules to include them when God God has already made them joint heirs and fellow partakers and made no distinction between us and them. Isn't that kind of interesting? Well, you know, God accepted you and God saved you and God filled you with the Holy Ghost and you speak in tongues like we speak in tongues, but you know what? There's some rules for you now. Come on, guys. God's God's up in heaven going. So Peter brings up a good point. You know, he has some good things to say, and they listen, and it doesn't sound like, you know, there's debating, but there's not contention in such a way. Um, Verse 12, Paul and Barnabas testify of the signs and wonders and all the things that God had done with the Gentiles. So showing that they they were fully accepted, they were fully, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no distinction. The the point is getting across. Verse uh, 13 through 21, James speaks up. Here's little James uh, you know, Peter says what he says. James kind of speaks up and clarifies. He adds to Peter's point in verses 15 through 18, and he gives some prophetic assurances that God intended to save the Gentiles all along. You know, he says some things here out of the book of Amos and Jeremiah. There's some in, uh, things included from Deuteronomy. It's kind of like a conglomeration of Old Testament prophecies, but it just kind of flows out of him under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And why is, why is that flowing out of him? Because those people who were in the law and legalistic who knew all these verses and prophetic passages needed to hear this at the time. To us, it doesn't, you know, we're, we're good. We're saved. We're filled with the Holy Ghost. We, you know, we don't want to wrestle with this, but those guys needed to hear that. So he speaks under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and uh, it's, it's very powerful. He persuades them uh, and, and the point is getting across. Verse 19, James views uh, that they shouldn't trouble the Gentile converts with a bunch of tradition and legalism. And that's an interesting point, because that's exactly what these false, well, I'm not going to call them false teachers, but these guys who came and taught something that was not doctrinally sound, they, they really burdened them. They upset them. Have you ever had somebody tell you something or share something with you, or just maybe put a little bit of doubt in you, or tell you, you know, the, the scripture doesn't mean that when it said that? Did you ever have someone upset your spirit? Come on. That's basically what was here. You know, if you've ever been upset in your spirit, I remember as a young man tangling with some people in cults and coming across people that, you know, I've come across people that were full of demons. I've come across people who had religious devils in them. And like, I'm telling you, when you lock horns with that, and and if you really get into it and, you you know, you you go toe-to-toe with them, they can upset your spirit sometimes. Be careful. Just because they knock on your door doesn't mean you have to answer. You know, if you're not, if the Holy Spirit says no, no. There's certain people I've talked to. There's certain people I said, get out of my yard. Ooh, pastor, you're not nice. Look, I follow the Holy Spirit. 
If the Holy Spirit says don't, I don't. So things can upset your spirit. These guys were upset. James views it as trouble. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them to abstain from the things contaminated by idols and from fornication and for uh, from what is strangled and from blood. So he just has a few things there. You might think, well, that's a weird list of stuff. Anybody, you know, hear that and think that's a little bit weird? I want you to, I want you to understand, you know, what's going on here. When he says things, you know, uh, to abstain from things uh, sacrificed to idols, there was idolatrous worship was such a part of the culture that, you know, basically he's saying like these things that connect you to the past here, you got to let go of those. Uh, fornication is a big deal. Why? Because part of the pagan uh, system was just to be immersed in, in sexual immorality. I mean, they, they had temple prostitutes and a lot of their worship was, you know, had to do with sexual things. And he's like, you got you to gotta abstain from the sexual immorality. You got to abstain from the things, meat that was strangled and from blood. What is that? All of that has to do with pagan worship. You know, it's not like, you know, as Christians, we got to have our steak well done. Oh, you can't have any blood. I mean, you know, but pagans would literally kill animals and drink the blood and do all kinds of things with blood. And it's, I mean, it's profane. Why? The Bible says the life is in the blood. And these guys are drinking, and it's like, I mean, and, and strangled animals and things sacrificed to idols. And basically what he's telling them here is come out from your old system. Come out from your, your pagan culture. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. He, more than anything else with these rules, he, he wanted them to disassociate themselves with the pagan culture of their past and be separate. So it's all about them coming out. It's not certain rules that they have to follow so they'll be acceptable to God. God had already saved them. God had already filled them with the Holy Spirit. But he's saying, come out from that old culture. You know what? Why does God say that? Why does God want us to come out of the old things? Why? Because if we don't fully come out of them, they keep their hooks in us. And those hooks have a tendency to drag us back in. There's some of us who could share testimonies that, you know, I was saved, but, you know, I didn't come out of the world, and then I got sucked back in. I was saved, but I kept the same group of friends that, you know, led me astray, and they sucked me back in. And some of us have had that testimony of in and out, in and out, till we finally said, enough! It's all Jesus or nothing. So those little rules there are to, you know, get them to separate from that culture. Verse 22 through 23, the apostles and the elders send a letter, and they don't just send a letter with Paul and Barnabas, but they send, you know, men with them to seal the deal. Silas is one of the men that goes with them. He's going to become a key companion to Paul. Verse 24 through 29 shows us the letter is simple. It affirms their faith. It acknowledged them as brothers in the Lord. So, you know, the, the higher-ups in Jerusalem are saying, hey, you know, we're welcome to the family of God, guys. Here's just a couple things we have for you from the Holy Spirit. You know, they acknowledge the turmoil that this legalistic doctrine had brought among them. And they outline the four things that the Holy Spirit required of them. They send uh, Judas and Silas with Paul and Barnabas to hand deliver the letter and confirm its authenticity. So these guys in Jerusalem are handling everything grade A right they're doing a good job and you know considering who's the leader of them peter who was you know the quintessential big mouth who always said things out of turn you remember peter 
In fact, you know, once in the video there, he, uh, you know, when James spoke, he called him Simon. <laughs> we, we, we forget about when he was Simon, but, you know, then we call him Peter, that transformation. But Peter's, you know, full of the Holy Ghost to transform man. Uh, the letter is received in verses 30 through 31 with great joy. The people feel encouraged. And, you know, I wanted to say to you, isn't it wonderful to be encouraged? Anyone ever experienced that? Maybe seen pictures, read stories? It's hard to get encouragement in this world, isn't it? Seems like everybody wants to put you down, judge you. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. In the church here, you know, as much as, you know, there's little stuff in the church where some people get snippy now and then, the love that we have here is just so incredible. Amen? Amen. Amen. And you don't realize it till you get out into the world. You know, when I'm out doing certain things at the gym or whether my wife started a job and telling me about all the people there, people are ruthless. They're like wolves tearing each other apart. They, they talk, you walk away from a group, they're talking about you. So these guys feel encouraged. What a great thing. Encouragement is a powerful thing. And so they, they, they feel accepted and it's... You know, just it really just builds their faith. And, you know, hearing bad news all the time is draining. Being criticized all the time is draining. You know, we need to shut down those avenues of bad, ugly stuff and just allow the Holy Spirit to encourage us. Be around the brethren. Uh, it's, a, it's interesting to note the contrast here. The legalism that those men brought in with their false teaching brought turmoil. But the, the acceptance that came through uh, the, the apostles affirming them brought liberty and rejoicing. Do you see that? Good leadership builds people up. False teachers tear people down. And, and I want you to see that. If you're around somebody and you always feel depleted after 10 minutes in their presence and when you leave, your spirit's upset afterwards... Hopefully they don't live in your house but or sleep next to you. But, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> good people, good leaders, godly people are going to build you up. There's going to be rejoicing instead of turmoil. So learn to be sensitive enough to sense the difference and discern, again, who's around you. Uh, Judas and Silas have prophetic gifts. You know, they go with them uh, to strengthen the believers there, and they use their gifts. And I want you to see that. The gifts were operational in the church already. People say, you know, oh, the gifts die with the apostles, or there's no this, there's no that. There were gifts in all of these believers, and they used them. Gifts are given to the body of Christ to encourage and strengthen and build up the brethren. Amen? That's why we have gifts. We don't have gifts to elevate ourselves or gifts to entertain people. We have gifts to build the body of Christ. And so whatever your gift is, use it in the body, amen? First and foremost, use your gifts in the body of Christ to build people up. These guys did. Judas and Silas prophesying, encouraging, building people up. You know, many times we say, God, uh, what's my gift? And he shows us the gift. And then we say, God, use me. And I remember one preacher when I was in Bible school said, you know, I asked God to use me, and he did. And I felt used. <laughs> it takes work to use your spiritual gifts. You know, I mean, we're all having a good time here tonight. I, I got like probably 15 hours into this message. You know, it doesn't, I don't get sermon in a can delivered to me by UPS. <laughs> You know, we got to use our gifts, right? It takes time. It takes energy. Realize that. You have a gift. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some energy. But it's for the body of Christ. So don't 
you take your gift and lock it up or frame it or put it in a showcase, a nice, you know, under glass, use it. Verses 33 through 34, when their season of ministry was over, you know, they ministered there, they prophesied to them, they did all this stuff. They returned to Jerusalem, but Silas felt like he should stay. So Judas headed back, but Silas stayed. And I want to say something, being used by God takes sensitivity and flexibility. You and I need to be at the right place at the right time. That means we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he puts you at the right place at the right time. Here comes somebody that you're the answer to their prayer. You know, you might know two things and, the, and one of the two things they needed to hear. Well, I was just reading that today and it's amazing that you're, you're asking me this because it was in my devotions this morning. Come on, how many, how many times have we said stuff like that? Huh. And we look really smart, but it was just, you know, the Holy Spirit prepped us just a little while before. So they were sensitive and they were flexible. Sensitive in what? That Silas was able to hear, uh, I'm not going home, I'm staying here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit nudged him. And it's going to be a life-changing decision for him because he's about to get hooked up with the greatest apostle that ever lived and he's about to go on the second missionary journey. But if he would have said, ah, I'm tired, I want to go home, see ya. How many of us miss divine opportunities? Because we're not sensitive and we're not flexible. So Paul and Barnabas also stay in Antioch there, and they labor and they teach. Silas is also there using his gifts, laboring and teaching. They're strengthening the believers there. Note all the effort and all the manpower. God's putting key people in this. Why? Because the Gentiles need a lot of work. Amen? They got a lot of baggage. They've come out of centuries of uh, paganism. And so they need their minds renewed. They need their theology changed. They need their culture addressed. And God sends these key people. I mean, could you imagine uh, the Apostle Paul's at your church teaching you? You're sitting down with them. Wow. Uh, God's putting energy into them. They're important to him. Verse 36 through 41 details the birth of the second missionary journey. This time there's going to be two teams on it. Uh, and they're going to hit the field, and it's conflict that actually facilitates the forming of these two teams. I want you to see that. You know, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. We're going to touch on that in a minute. You know, the people in the field who were lost, all they noted was, hey, here goes two teams. We're going to see twice the fruit. But they don't realize what it takes to get those two teams out on the field. It took conflict. There's an old expression that says, you never want to see how the sausage is made. You ever hear that? You know, my uncle's a butcher, and when he comes over for a barbecue, he, he brings his own meat because he don't want to eat something that somebody else butchered. Do you know why? Because he's seen how the sausage is made. Come on, guys. That's funny. I don't care who you are. You see what goes, I mean, it tastes delicious. It's wonderful, but you don't want to see what they're cutting up and grinding up and putting in there. It's better, it's better that you don't, okay? So that old expression, <laughs> that old expression means something here because, you know, behind the scenes of the church, you know, a lot of times sitting out here, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. But yet God lets us see under the hood. He lets us see behind the curtain. He lets us see why. Because he could have just said, Paul decided to go with Silas and Barnabas took, no, he, he said, they, they got in a fight. They got in a heated disagreement. Is that what you call it when you, you know, you're fighting with your spouse? We were in a heated conversation. 
try and sanitize a little bit. They got to knock down, drag them out. I'm ticked off. I don't want to see you get out of my face. Fight. And it was over John Mark. And if you're paying attention, you know that John Mark bailed on them in the middle of the first missionary journey. And Paul did not like it at all. God allows us to see what's behind the hood here. You know, and just as there's some ugliness in making the sausage, uh, there's some ugliness here in, in the early church leadership. The conflict is over the inclusion of John Mark. Paul is flat out angry that Mark left them in the middle of the, their expedition, and he is totally unwilling to give him a second chance. And I want you to see this here. Here we see the very human side of the most incredible apostle who ever lived. Paul, who evangelized the known world, who wrote two-thirds, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was the most articulate theologian that ever walked the face of the earth. God brought Romans through him, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Come on, the theology that came out of this man is incredible. Most of our theological knowledge can fit in a thimble. This guy had silos. Thimble, easy. He's an awesome man of God. There's no apostle that was ever like him. So this guy, Paul, who had all that going for him, who persecuted Christians, who, you know, martyred Stephen, who was guilty of murder, who God had graciously given a second chance, this guy wanted to cut off John Mark after one impropriety. See, if you're reading through this and you don't get any of this, you're reading too fast. Slow down. Ask some questions. Dig in there a little bit. Are you kidding me, Paul? You got all this grace and all this second chance, and God could have snuffed you out, hit you with a rock, knocked you down with a lightning bolt, but no. He said, I've chosen him. He's my chosen vessel. Knocks him down, blinds him, reprograms him, saves him, uses him. Second chance, third chance, forgiven of this, forgiven of that. Grace, 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 avalanches of grace. John left us. I'm done with him. See, that's the very human side of Paul. And all of us have rough edges like that. And if you think, well, I know some people who don't, you just don't know them well enough. Right? So understand what goes on, you know, under the hood, behind the curtain. Understand that, you know, God uses people and none of them are perfect. But look at this. Even in our, in, even in our imperfections and even in Paul's unwillingness to extend grace here, still, God even uses that. Why? Because now two teams hit the field and it's just what God had planned. Maybe Silas was just a better fit with Paul. Maybe, you know, Paul was just, you know, not going to hit it off with John Mark, and he needed to be with Barnabas. But God uses John Mark, and, and he writes Scripture, and God uses his life. But you know what? Paul wasn't willing to give him a break. Let's be very careful that we don't forget where we've come from. I've known Christians who, before they came to Christ, did the most vial of things in their childhood, in their personal life, in, in the ways of immorality. And, and once they get saved, they treat other people like they never even saw a picture of sin. Total hypocrisy. And I know it. And I'm sitting there looking, and I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to hammer this young person who made one mistake when I know you did X, Y, and Z three times. <laughs> you don't want to see how the sausage is made. 
But we got to be careful we don't forget. God saved us out of a lot of stuff. Some of us have come out of immorality and homosexuality and adultery, and we've been divorced and we fornicated and all this stuff, and we can't just pretend like we don't even know what that is anymore when somebody else is struggling that we want to look down on them. Wow. That's the person God's got to smash because you need rehumbled. So be careful. I'm not being judgmental to Paul. I'm just saying, you know, there's rough edges in all of us. Let's stay humble. Two teams hit the field. Uh, Barnabas and John Mark head to Cyprus. Paul and Silas go to Syria and Cilicia, and the chapter ends. I like the way the video showed, you know, Silas kind of following Paul, and he was just like. <laughs> All of us got a little flesh. Poke the person next to you and go, I got a little flesh. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight that all of us have rough edges, Lord, but we're saved by grace. Thank you, Lord, that it's grace. God, let us never forget how gracious you've been to us. God, none of us deserve your mercy. None of us deserve what Jesus did on the cross for us. Help us not to be grace killers, to be legalistic or religious like the, the Pharisees wanted to bring a hybrid of legalism and grace in. Lord, help us to leave all of that religion aside. Throw the baggage away and just enjoy the goodness of God. Teach us the deep lessons of grace so that we can be appreciative for what you've given us and be willing to extend it to others. Father, use the situations in our lives. Create divine appointments for us. Teach us that, Lord, every day that we live, we're on a missionary journey. Let us be bold. Let us be in the word and let us recognize those opportunities to share the gospel with the person who, who, who gives us our coffee, with the person that makes our breakfast in the morning, with that person at work that is just hurting. Lord, help our first thought to be, how can I share Jesus with the hurting world all around me. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight.